You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckbelt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Serjak, and he is co-founder and partner at C2R Ventures, which is a New York City-based talent advisory collective focusing on fintech, blockchain, financial and management consulting, and recruiting. So we're going to talk to Michael a little bit about recruiting, about talent, about what's going on in the industry. He is also another podcast host, and we'll we'll kind of touch on that in the end, but really focused on founders uh, and the relationship between founders to really power successful partnerships and companies. So we'll touch on that in the end, but let's talk a little bit about talent and where the talent market is and what people can learn about finding the right people for their business. So with that, Michael, welcome to the program. Bruce, thanks so much. Glad to be on. So why don't we start with a little bit of your background, because I know that uh, you've been in the talent space for a while, um, but give us a sense of what you were doing that got you into talent and got you into you know, helping companies figure out how to find the people they need. And then we'll talk a little bit about the business. Sure. So I don't think anyone really picks recruiting as as their profession. Yeah. <laughs> I think more people sort of fall into it, which is exactly how it happened for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mid-90s, uh, I was in school. I was uh, looking to become a, a, a teacher. And I was also playing in bands professionally at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the members of the band, his mother worked at a startup that was doing recruiting in New Jersey. And sort of the rest is history. And one of the things that, that was great about that period was it was really sort of that mad rush when a lot of the newer technologies were coming out. So you had, you know, Java and then C Sharp, et cetera, were starting to really become very favorable languages. Yeah. But you also had the sort of influx of talent that was coming from overseas, be it India, China, et cetera. Yep. The challenges that, you know, we faced then was that Clients were looking to hire folks with, you know, specific development skills, but the domain really didn't matter. So if someone was in healthcare, pharma, manufacturing, finance, it didn't matter. If they had a job on their resume, they were getting hired. So it created this big rush and, and there was a lot of hiring that was happening. But I think what ended up happening long term was that things sort of got pared down and the domain is what we find is equally as important as the technology skills. Some of the other you know, things back then were a little bit different is that you didn't have sort of these platforms like you do today, you know, LinkedIn, Stack Overflow, yeah. GitHub, et cetera. So you know, my first days of recruiting were, and this is probably dating myself, <laughs> we, used to, so we used to subscribe to C++ Magazine and we would get the sure. mailing list. Yeah. And Monday, Monday nights, we would be in the office till 11 cold calling people, um, which is 
you know, to, to a lot of folks who do recruiting today, that that's so foreign and, and abstract and like, why would you do that? But <laughs> it was a really good, good lesson in learning how to, you know, get yeses when you also got a lot of no's. Yeah. Uh, and it built a sort of resilience and creativity of how you'd have to navigate, you know, sometimes interesting and difficult conversations when, you know, people are, uh, you know, looking to be with their family at 10 o'clock, but you have this amazing opportunity that you want to share with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and what what goes into being, I guess, a good sort of talent scout recruiter? I mean, what what is the essence of of being someone who can really help a company with finding talent? What do you what is entailed in that? Well, I think from the the client side, the, the first and foremost for C two R, you know, one of the things that that we really thought hard about when we we launched our company was that we didn't want to be just another vendor, just another agency. You know, all all of us, my partner, you know, Eric Rosenthal and Nick Cassio, you know, we've all been working together for a long time. And and when we kind of put this together, we really wanted to map out a strategy of where we could really become advisors and partners with our clients. And and one one of the challenges that I'd say that most agencies face is that they say yes too often. They say yes to the wrong candidates, and they mm-hmm. also say yes to the wrong clients. And in a business where you know you're driven literally by performance, you know, in our world, if you're not putting people into companies that are in a successful way, you know, you're you're not making any money. Yeah. Um, we felt it was very important to learn how to say yes to the right opportunities. And I think when it comes to the client side, the, the most important thing is really listening, learning what the client's pain points are, mm. really understanding the stack, really understanding what the culture is like, really understanding who fits, who doesn't, and not trying to force the client to take people that don't really fit into their you know, foundation of who they are. Now, granted, sometimes the client doesn't fully know who they are, so you do have to mm-hmm. educate them a bit, possibly on the on the market conditions. But in the long run, you know, that's that's side A, right? So figuring out from the client perspective who would be the ideal candidate for them. And then I'd say on the other side is obviously it's the candidate piece. You know, it, it's a very emotional thing for people who change jobs, you know, quite often. I mean, for both you and I, we're working with people who are in yeah. and out of businesses all the time. So I would say sometimes I take it for granted that, hey, you're scheduling an interview, you're doing this, you're doing that. But the truth is people are working, they have families, they have lives, they have obligations. Career change is is very stressful. It's right up there with, you know, moving, getting married and doing Mm -hmm. all these things. And, and, you know, the wrong career move could really, you know, put your career trajectory in a deficit. So I think really understanding you know, both sides of who's looking for what and really trying to match up those match up those variables, I think, is very, very key to be successful in this space. Have you ever had a case where, you know, a client comes to you saying they're looking for a particular type of talent or, you know, a particular, you know, profile or, you know, experience level or something, and you've had to kind of tell them, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, that, that, based on really what you need, that's not who you want. Um, or kind of advise them or, or push back on them in different ways. And, and what ways typically are you finding that you're helping clients rethink? their strategy? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'd say, you know, client might might want someone that has really it's three people in one. And I think that that's often the challenge. I mean, years ago, I mean, now, <laughs> yeah. now it's a big term. You know, you hear the term DevOps or, or site reliability engineer, SRE. And, and uh-huh. that was really sort of the, the kind of the jack of all skill set. You know, someone who knew, you know, scripting languages. They knew, you know, let's say Linux, Linux infrastructure. They understood the pain points of capacity planning and what application developers went through. And years ago, you know, that was like a struggle to find someone who had all those things. And now you're getting sort of hybrid roles where maybe someone has two 
of the of the thirds that that you'd really want. Mm-hmm. So I think in those in those scenarios, you know, the, the clients sometimes they're insulated by their own environment, so they might not know what the market bears, and they yeah. might think they need you know something specific. But also the interview process helps unfold uh, some of those some mm-hmm. of those questions. You yeah. know, they get ten people in the queue, they interview them, and they realize, wait a second, what we thought we wanted and what the market's bearing and maybe where we're trying to move for future state, that's not aligned and we need to recalibrate. Yeah. And we do it in obviously a conscious and, and courteous way. You know, we're not there to waste their time. They don't want to waste our time. And clearly the last thing we want to do is waste our, our the candidates that we work with their time. Yeah. So I think if you keep the open dialogue, it, it's it's pretty, pretty easy to accomplish, you know, everyone's goals. Yeah. What are some things that a, a company can do when they're kind of doing their talent planning or figuring out what their talent needs are to help, you know, both, both the kind of planning and figuring out how to articulate that to make it easier, you know, either to work with a recruiter or work with, you know, someone who's going to help them find folks or actually go out and find folks. What are some things they can do to help either get clear or more strategic around their planning, their around their talent needs? Well, I, I think it's a great question because there, there's been clients that we've had in the past where a candidate would show up for an interview. They would just be riddled with, you know, sort of these you know, just like a stockpile of, of technical questions. Yeah. And there would be zero conversation in and around the actual project, what their interests were, where the, the company is going, what are some of the new initiatives, what are the cultures like, et cetera. The war for talent is so aggressive right now. Yeah. I would say three years ago, if we had a candidate interviewing, they might have one to two opportunities that were on par with what we would present them for. Yeah. I'd say now it's probably five to six and all very compelling opportunities, wow. different parameters. Some could be, you know, a startup, some could be, yeah. uh, you know, companies who have, you know, are public, etc. And the one thing I'd say that a smart company does is really they outline their hiring process in, in okay. a very rigid way. So Canada comes on site or, or first Canada gets submitted. What's the process? Is it a coder pad? Is it hacker rank? Mm-hmm. Is it a phone screen? Do they have to do a, a take home project? Is there a phone interview after that video interview? Do they come on site for a full day, half day? Time is valuable for everyone. And I think when a candidate has a a very good idea of what the process will look like and how it will unfold, and and obviously that's where we come in and try to educate them as much as we can on this is what your expectations would be, whether the candidate gets the job or not, obviously we want them to get the job and the candidate does, but that experience, that experience pays tenfold. Where someone would say, listen, I went on site with this client, I didn't get the job, but the experience was amazing. And I think for a, from a collateral perspective, that really helps a client, you know, out there in the real world when someone says, hey, what was it like interviewing at XYZ? And they, they, they go through that, you know, that exercise of, of what their experience was like. Yeah, it's like, almost like your, your reputation, your hiring, your hiring reputation. And if you, if you leave candidates in the dark and don't tell them what the next step is and surprise them, you know, it's going to be, you're going to have a bad rap in terms of other potential candidates. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's websites now, obviously Glassdoor is a big one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, where, you know, per my, in my personal opinion, I, I don't find it as, as useful. I, you know, people complain a lot on there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, granted people need a place to put their thoughts, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the reasons why you work with an agency that has a good reputation is just that, that we curate our clients to make sure that, our clients are ones that we're comfortable representing and we know their environments inside and out. 
And in that sense, you'll also get the entire walkthrough of what each and every process is like from start to the close to when you join. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the um, how sort of competitive things have gotten over the last couple of years. But what else have you noticed in terms of just the change in trends and, you know, whether they be technology specific or more general, just recruiting and finding talent for companies? What are some of the things you've noticed, you know, over the last three, four, five years in terms of how things have changed? I'd say that for certain skill sets where they might normally be uh, specific to a domain, and I'll I'll give you a real world example. There was a candidate I was working with had uh, extremely uh, amazing C++ low latency experience and had worked in a, a prop trading firm for a number of years. That person ended up getting offers at two separate firms after that that were also in the trading space also had offers for Google and Facebook and also an offer at Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. So you take a person who has been literally working only within fintech or or trading, and that person's skill set is transferable to these domains that are also serving up, let's say, for Google and Facebook, serving up ads or, or, or yep. something else or, or, or just you know working on high availability type systems. And I think that's probably the biggest shift. So data science is obviously a big buzzword that gets thrown around. And yeah. literally everyone is looking for data scientists, whether you're, you know, you're, you're a hospital, whether you're pharma, you're you know, one of the you know, Amazon, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is that the, te- the underlying technology knowledge is almost more key than having the domain knowledge. So we're seeing a big transfer is that when candidates are receiving offers, their offers aren't, you know, hey, I'm, I have five offers from investment banks. It's I have an offer from an investment bank and then a company that's in this industry and that industry. Yeah. And I think for the candidate, it's great because, you know, years ago, you probably thought you were only going to be able to stay in your lane if you'd been in there for a while. And, and I think it's it shows the power of technology, how it's able to really transform businesses. Yeah. And if companies are investing smart in technology, which they should, and not looking at it as just a cost, they should be able to realize that that is going to be their competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, a, gr- a great idea without execution is just a great idea. Yeah. I'm curious on the flip side, from a, from a candidate point of view, and I, and I ask this sort of on behalf of service companies who have people they want to keep, what are the things that you see that, that really help retain folks? Like when you, when you go to somebody who is employed and you're giving them an offer, what are the reasons they give for not taking offers or not being interested in looking? What drives people's retention or, or you know, essentially makes your job more difficult? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a number of factors there. I mean, outside of the, the standards, which would be, you know, compensation, location, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. I think from, from an actual inside the company perspective, um, smart companies, one of the things that they do is they let a a candidate work on certain projects that could eventually influence positive outcomes for the company. So if you're a software engineer and you have a great idea and there's a sort of, you know, flat, hopefully a flat organization where it's, it's best idea wins. I think companies that invest in those types of programs and meetups internally and coding groups internally, I think those things really make a difference because you know, there's nothing worse than going to an opportunity or, you know, your your day job where you feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over. There's there's no advancement for technology. There might not be any, you know, clear path from upward mobility. But when you're working on these projects, I think it really sort of, you know, kind of spurs these great ideas that eventually influence, you know, the future state of the company. So smart companies do that. Uh, they invest a lot in open source 
you know, sort of sort of things too, and do the hackathons. And I think all those things to keep people engaged, like they're part of the actual hive. Yeah. It is really key. And the, and the companies that, that clearly show that they're not doing that, you know, your retention rate is, you know, it's going to be it's going to be low. Yeah. And let's talk about the kind of the actual uh, recruiting process itself in terms of how a company can, you know, just around best practices for interviewing for the interviewing process. I mean, you mentioned, you know, doing code tests, doing projects, doing, you know, various kind of certifications and things. What if I'm an employer and I'm trying to think through how I go about my interviewing, recruiting, interviewing process, and you know whether or not I'm using uh, an advisor like you, what are some best practices, things that I can do to improve you know, the effectiveness and the efficiency of that? Well, I think if, if at all, in a, in a best case scenario, you do have your the opportunity you're looking to fill clearly defined. You have the process clearly defined. And, and you know, the market, again, is so competitive. You have to be in a position where you can you can sell the candidate on why this opportunity would be, you know, great for their career, help them, and also to help the company. And companies who who don't do that, I mean, certain companies hire in different ways. You know, uh, some companies hire in a way where you you get into the company and then we figure out where you're the best fit. That works for some candidates. For some candidates, it just doesn't. Um, but I think it all goes back to this communication idea where a, a candidate themselves, I, I and my partners always advise, if you're going to begin interviewing, you really need to do the things that anyone who's in a highly competitive and highly successful position would do. You have to prepare. So that means you know, studying, practicing, canvassing the market, figuring out where you think your interests might be, where they aren't, figuring out what you want to do, what you don't, what are things that you might say yes to and you wouldn't say yes to, whether it's travel restriction, the hours mm-hmm. you want to work? You know, you have to kind of do all those things. And the client has to do that equally as well. You can't expect the candidate to, you know, just jump through a bunch of hoops for interviews where they're taking time out of their day where they might <laughs> might all clearly be noticed by their current uh, yeah. employer that, you know, why, why, is, why is Steve out four days in a row, you know? So it, it's sort of this kind of time management and consciousness of, again, creating a better experience. And I think all those things sort of put together really make the difference. The challenge in recruiting and, and closing, you know, on the client side is that we're not dealing with products. We're, we're dealing with people who have, you know, uh, you know, it's emotional. Yeah. Um, you know, there's sort of this flip flop back and forth. Should I take the job? Shouldn't I? Uh, my friend said this. <laughs> I'm not sure about this person on the team. You know, there, there's just so many variables that go into it. So even if you have the, the perfect role and the perfect candidate, it doesn't always mean it, it will align. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and talk to me about some of the um, sort of tools and stuff that I can use. So, uh, do these tests, you know, take home tests, uh, you know, third party kind of evaluation tools, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, around coding or, you know, knowing, being able to test, test at certain levels. I mean, are these, are they useful? Are they, when do you apply them? I mean, I, how do you integrate those into the process? Yeah, I would say that if, if you are, if you are about to go into, an interview process, or you think you're ready that I think it's time that I, I want to move out from from my current current employer. My mm-hmm. advice is always the same. Even if you're technically a passive looker, 
you should try to look at, a, at multiple opportunities at the same time. And again, I would say prepare first, spend a couple of weeks, go back through your, you know, whatever languages or, or you know, whatever, whatever your core skill set is, technical skill set is, go back to the basics, focus, be prepared. Uh, this, this is a funny thing, I think, even with interviewing, and I've done this myself. When, we, when we're working with a new client and, you know, we're, we know we're going to engage with them, I will say out loud the pitch of how I would present this to someone, mm-hmm. because I know the first few times it, it's going to sound like marbles. I, yeah. I know I'm not going <laughs> to say it the right way. And I think candidates sometimes forget how to, you know, in a concise way, explain who they are and what they do. So all those things are, you know, very much ready for, you know, to, to get ready for interviews. And then when I, I'd say, if you are going to hit the market, to have the best leverage, you would want to interview with multiple companies at the same time. The worst case scenario is you stay where you are, right? Yeah. But if you can go out to the market and see four or five opportunities, you can say, listen, I know opportunity A, it's a great company, but the fit isn't right. Opportunity B is exactly what I want and so forth and so on. And it gives you a better gauge to make, you know, who, who doesn't want to have more options when they're trying to make, you know, a decision that literally can be the next, you know, one to five years of your life. Yeah. You know, you'd want to put yourself in a position where you're as educated as possible and clearly to be able to to leverage to get yourself the best opportunity best compensation and, and and you know best everything if you can yeah so from the company side if i'm you know in a leadership position or i'm in charge of you know talent at a, a growing company um what can i do I guess to to kind of maintain my relationship because it it seems like so many of these really good candidates are kind of passive lookers. I mean that 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 I'm I'm trying to build relationships with folks that may not be looking today, but you know maybe in a couple of months, maybe in a year, when they now start to think about different opportunities, how do I keep my company kind of top of mind? What I guess what can I do to kind of attract, build relationships, and attract kind of more of the passive seekers uh, in the market? Back to the premise and sort of the the idea of the way we structured C2R. So one of the things that we really wanted to also do as we built our collective is to not just provide, here's an opportunity that we have. We, we yeah. really focused very heavily on the idea of of information in and around industry that would be useful for our community. So when we began in 2017, we had zero followers on LinkedIn. We're now uh, above 25,000 in two years. And really growing that community was providing information that's valuable not just here's another job. So it yeah. could be information of, of industry. It could be, you know, papers that we write. A- anything that, that really helps sort of drive this idea of, of what's going on in the market. And I think for employers, it's very important for them to use platforms like LinkedIn or, or elsewhere to really talk about those initiatives that are going on. Hey, we just received an award for this. Our solution did X, Y, Z. Mm, We're yeah. number one in the market for this. Because those are the things that candidates really, really are attracted to, that they know that the, the employer is as engaged as they want to be. And you're probably seeing a lot more of that on LinkedIn now. It, it's sort of, you know, this this platform where, uh, you know, you pay for the service and then you sort of have carte blanche to, to advertise or to promote as you will. But I think that engagement is very key. So when someone thinks of company X, they know that that's an innovator versus a company that, well, they're a dinosaur. Yeah. 
Uh, and how, I guess, how is this, um, or I guess maybe what's your take on the trend of the nature of employment and this kind of whole gig economy? And I guess at least the perception that things are moving away from long-term full-time employment to more, you know, engagement-based, gig-based or shorter periods of time. I, mean, I guess what's your, I guess, what have you seen in, in terms of the reality of that? And then how has it kind of shifted strategy, how you've seen employers deal with this stuff, how, how your services kind of work? What's your take on that? Well, it's it certainly has shifted to the gig economy, and there's more remote workers now mm, yeah. than than we've seen before. I I think for companies that are trying to really build their brand, there's probably less there's probably a less of an appetite to have those types of workers for yeah. the long term, just because you know when you're trying to build products, it's hard, you know, and you really need people engaged, and you can't have this sort of revolving door. I think startups maybe have a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. But, you know, again, it sort of goes back to opportunity. If, if I'm an engineer and I can work on five different projects that are all interesting and exciting and I can do that from the comforts of my home, there's there's a high likelihood that that I would do that. It's still for us, it's challenging, but I think that goes goes you know, when we're first screening, those are the things that we really try to ferret out from the beginning. Yeah. And we, we had a, a conversation with someone, you know, this week where they said, listen, my current employer allows me to work, you know, three days from home. My commute to New York is two hours. And for the client that we were considering them for, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Rather than try to force that candidate in and force the client to accept it, it's better to be a pass. Yeah. But certainly the the you know the globalization of our our business, the fact that you have so many remote teams working from all over the world together yep. on projects, it certainly adds to the the challenges that we face. And and you know clearly for employers, it, it's it's been a hurdle for them. Mm-hmm. But you know there there are ways around it. Again, every candidate is employable, so it just has to be the right fit. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk to you on the podcast a little bit. So I know. That the podcast view I'm imagining has been, you know, both a kind of a business strategy, a content strategy. I'm curious how you kind of came up with the idea of the podcast, um, how you kind of formatted it, and then what you've learned so far, and and some of the work you've done, and, and some of the folks you've spoken to. Well, outside of hating the way my voice sounds, um, <laughs> there's so my partner in in uh, the duo's podcast, uh, Justin Marcus. You know, we've been friends for a long time. I had worked for his family business um, back at the uh, the end of the '90s. Uh-huh. And he's always been a, a longtime friend and a mentor of mine. And, and when we were beginning C2R, I, I, you know, I, I came to him and, and we talked through some different scenarios of, you know, you know how to structure business because he had a very, very successful business with his family. And then we started this to talk about podcasts and we were very interested in doing something. You know, we were, we're both in the same business. We're both father, fathers of twins. We're both musicians. There was all this sort of similarity. Interesting. And the idea sort of came one day, he said, listen, what about duos? What about this idea of why two people get together? Like we're sitting here together. Why are we here together? And that was sort of that, you know, light bulb moment where we said, we're not as, as concerned about, you know, Hey, how many billions of dollars have you made? Like clearly that's, that's impressive. And we want to hear those stories, but we want to really hear about out of everyone in the room, why did, you know, that one person pick the other and what was the first fight like? And mm-hmm. how did you grow together? How yeah. do you celebrate your wins? What's the stress like at being a, a founder? I mean, you, you know this yourself and, and I do as well. Yeah. You, there, you, you lose a lot of sleep and you, you get a lot of gray hair. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, a lot of uphill. And, and when you can, you can do that with someone else. We think there's a there's a very very good case and and story that that's where the most successful companies are. Now, granted, it could be more than one founder, but mm-hmm. you know 
primarily we focus on on successful duos. Yeah, yeah, I I I do a lot of coaching of uh, business partners. I do some coaching of business partners who also happen to be married, which is a whole nother level. But I'd be curious what what has been your more kind of some more interesting episodes or um, kind of some examples of of folks you've interviewed and and what is what have you learned from them? I'd say that everyone that we've interviewed has this the sense of humbleness mm. and realize that they they are better for doing it with someone else yeah. than on their own. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways. You know, we interviewed Evan Goldberg, who founded uh, NetSuite, yeah. uh, co-founded NetSuite. And, you know, throughout the entire interview, one of the things he said is like, I just could not have done this alone. I, I really needed help with from Larry Ellison. Yeah. And to hear him, you know, say that, you know, it, it just makes you think here's a company he exited for like over $9 billion, but he still realized that together was better. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's been a really strong lesson. Um, I think the the fight and the fire of everyone that we've we've spoken with so far is is really you know, really been amazing. You know, you put your heart and soul into your businesses and it's hard sometimes or a lot of times or most of the time. And the fact that, you know, when it's bad, you can share that with someone and they can, there's empathy for that. And, you know, when you're, when you do get those wins, you know, it's nice to be able to high five someone. Um, so those are probably the two biggest takeaways that we've seen. Yeah, that's great. So uh, I know a lot of uh, service-based companies who are really very focused on thought leadership and this idea of podcasting comes up and they kind of play around with it. As someone who's kind of launched a podcast, what's your kind of advice or recommendations? Should, should people do it? Should they not do it? What's your, what's your kind of takeaway as, as a tool for helping, uh, helping build business, helping be a thought leader in a space? Yeah, I mean, I think you, just like any business, you you know, in, in a business, you're trying to, to solve a problem or, or, or fix a problem. And I think with podcasts, it has to be something that's interesting and engaging and something where, where, where people want want to, to experience that, you know, the half hour to an hour that that you, you're going to spend with them. For us, again, part of it was that we wanted this this concept of the, the co-founders and, and the relationship. We also wanted to keep it a little bit light. We we didn't want it to be just mm. com- a completely serious and and just like your podcast, it's very yeah. conversational, and that that's where that's where we feel most comfortable. Yeah, I'd say other than that, you know, you really again like any other business, you have to map out all the technical aspects. You know, who are your target, who's your target audience going to be, who are your target guests going to be, where you're going to publish. There, there's a lot of back end work that goes into it. Yeah. Um, if you want to make a successful podcast, I mean, if you just want to make a recording for your friends, you can do that, too. And I, we think that's great. Mm-hmm. But for us, you know, for thinking of scale um, yeah. and then using using, um, you know, our platforms to get to further markets, I think you really have to, you know, try to get great audio and, and great guests. Yeah, no. Excellent. Michael, if people want to find out more about you, about C2R, about duos, what's the best way to get that information? So for C2R, you can go to c2rventures.com. That will bring you to our LinkedIn page, mm-hmm. uh, which we purposely purposely didn't no, build a website. Yeah. We, we felt that our entire community, both candidate and client, would have more value from us if we were all in one place. Yep. So it's just a, it'll launch few seconds after you log in, and then it'll bring you right to our uh, LinkedIn page uh, that'll have everything from 
jobs that we're, we're working on um, and in all of our content. Mm-hmm. Um, for Duos, it's duospodcast.com. Uh, and you can find us everywhere else. You can find us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you know, all the, all the regular places that uh, people are listening to podcasts. All right. Sounds great. I'll make sure that links uh, to both of those are in the show notes. Michael, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation. I learned a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bruce. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.